Hello! And welcome back to Archives of Fabella, the only podcast of its kind that takes you back in time to your magical world with the handsome, available dude who created it. Hey, it's my platform. I'm going to talk myself up as much as I can. Recently, I had the pleasure of reading a comment left by a fan named Brandy on the website, archivesofabella.com. She writes, I had never heard of you before today when I started researching some urban legends. Well, before you were born, there was a story of a man claiming to be Sakria. Just curious how you thought of the names for your continents. Everything I have read in regards to your books is very detailed when it comes to discussing the land. I can't help but be curious, and it would be a real treat if you actually respond and indulge in my curiosity. I look forward to reading your books. Thank you. And thank you for writing, Brandy. The rest of you should be cool like Brandy and send your questions and comments to archivesofabella at gmail.com. Now, in her comment, Brandy talks about a man who claimed to be from Sakria. That man's name was Jofar Vorin. In 1850, Jofar Vorin appeared at a Frankfurt pub in Germany. He said that he was from a country named Lexaria, located in the continent of Sakria. He went on to name four other continents, Astar, Oslar, Uplar, and Aflar. Vorin's tale is often used as proof for parallel universes. Does that mean Fabella could be a real parallel universe? No. Believe me, I would know if I was ripping off stories from the history of an actual parallel universe and passing them off as my own. That would make my job a whole lot easier. All I did was take Vorin's story and name my continents after those he spoke about as a fun little easter egg. Other fantasy stories give you a land. I want to give you a world. There aren't just five continents in Fabella. Like Earth, there are seven. But what do they all look like? You ask. Listen on and find out. Before I get started, I want to make one short programming note. I've done my best to describe the layout of the world. But to help you better picture Fabella, I think it's best that you follow along with the map on the website. A link is in the description. Let's get started. I'm Dylan Foley. And this is Archives of Fabella. Beyond our world, there is love. Beyond our world, there is war. Beyond our world, there is life. Beyond our world, there is Fabella. Fifty-four sixty-nine FY Fabella year equal to fourteen sixty-nine AD Earth year.
rising from the wars and chaos which characterized the Age of Monsters. People regained their footing and their wanderlust in the Age of Expansion. This was a time of movement, rebuilding, and rebirth. The metamorphosis taking place in the world was best exemplified by the tropical island of Adele. Adele, or the island, was a tropical oasis located out in the middle of the ocean, far away from the other continents of Fabella. In the large scheme of things, it was a rest stop for tradespeople bringing goods from the far corners of the world. It was not hard to understand why the inhabitants of this small, seemingly insignificant island prided themselves on their independence and ability to thrive in the cutthroat business of trading goods. This humid, vibrant, tropical land was shaped like a burning torch and sat right on the equator. Gigantic flowers and mushrooms stretched high up into the sky. During the monsoon season, it would rain for weeks. Without ever stopping, the hurricane force winds ripped giant flowers and trees out with ease. Roots and all, some of the most poisonous and lethal creatures crawled along the dense jungle and swam along its winding shores. Runcasolis arose as Adele's most populous city and center of trade. East met west in this budding metropolis, which no other country in the world could compete with. The steady flow of goods contributed greatly to the economy of Adele's parent nation, the Republic of Fantasia, strengthening the political superpower's influence over the world. The expansion age of Fabella was truly a period of great innovation, and Rucosolis was on the front lines of the changing world. New inventions like the printing press were causing people to broaden their minds and to become more literate than ever before. Other new discoveries capturing the public's attention included the introduction of wooden wands, replacing the use of scepters. Pointed hats shaped like cones atop everyone's head were in fashion. Pixie dust became popular as a power source, and flying airships took to the skies. However, the greatest invention that appealed to the people of Fabella was the flying broom. First ridden by St. Terra Hogan during the final battle of the Western War, brooms had become a vast new form of transportation. The standard flying broom had a shaft made of wood, with a pair of handlebars and leg rests usually made out of brass. The rider would sit on the included leather seat and soar through the air with ease on this one-of-a-kind vehicle propelled by pixie dust. Other modes of transportation had been attempted, but none were more popular than the broomstick. Elven maiden Essa Metzler could remember the first time she set her nimble hands on the finely polished oak shaft of a broomstick. The euphoric feeling of kicking herself off from the ground and screaming through the air could not be surpassed. The second little Essa took to the skies. She never wanted to leave. Essa Metzler belonged in the air. But if the male population of Rinkosolis had anything to say about it, Essa would be firmly rooted to the ground. Patriarchy for the period was intense, but it was most strict for elven culture. Elven mistresses' lives remained limited by strict social codes of conduct. 
They were expected to wear heavy, full-length dresses. They could not vote or own a business. They were forbidden to own land. And they were expected to remain in the home. Essa Metzler was determined to change all of that. With fiery orange hair and a face marked by too many freckles to count, Essa was a mistress born to blaze her own path in life. She was born in Adele to a pair of doting parents as the only daughter of eight children. Essa's brothers all helped their father in the family broomstick business. Essa and her mother were routinely called upon to model for advertisements and flyers, showing them riding side saddle on broomsticks, and still looking ready to dance at the local ball. Metzler and Sons Broomsticks was truly a family business in every sense. In 5460, 18-year-old Essa Metzler lost her father to disease, and her mother was also gone before the year was out. Essa married Sylvan Sidor, an afterlife appraiser, who made his riches off telling people if their beloved ancestors had ascended to heaven or fallen to the depths of hell. The entire business was a con. Sylvan took bribes from clients to pump up the importance of their ancestral lineage and to say that they had made it into heaven, even though there was no clear way to tell whose soul ended up where. Essa abhorred the very fact such a business was allowed to exist and continued to dedicate herself to the family business, which was, sad to say, failing miserably since her parents' passing. More broomstick businesses were sprouting up every day, creating more market saturation that the Metzlers couldn't compete with. The family business had survived off the parents' backs and ties to the community. Now that they were gone, the business suffered. We can't close, protested Essa as she and her brothers met to discuss what to do in the light of them losing another major supplier. Our brooms are the best in the world. Bennis, eldest of the Metzler clan, now led the family. That's sweet, Essie. But the best costs money. We don't have the funds to support ourselves anymore. It's as simple as that. We should just cut our losses and sell to the highest bidder while we can still get some money out of the deal. Mom and Dad wouldn't sell, argued Essa. All we need is something to drive business back. Great, you think of that while we all starve to death, chided Bennis. This doesn't concern you. Go back to the kitchen and tend to your children. Leave the big decisions up to me. As luck would have it, events were already in motion to give Essa the brilliant idea she needed to save the family business. Famed fawn explorer Jamis Decker became the first non-harpy person to complete a flight around the world on an airship. He was awarded the hefty sum of 16,000 Avalonian pegs for his work, and a permanent place in the history books. It didn't take long for speculation to mount as to what other mode of transportation could make it around the world. Decker claimed to be hard at work plotting out his next trip encircling the globe on a broomstick, and went on public record by stating, to encircle the globe is a dangerous feat, not for the faint of heart. I faced high winds, hurricanes, tornadoes, dragons, and every other flying beast you can imagine. It was a hard quest to accomplish on an airship, and will be even more difficult on a broomstick. 
I highly doubt the fair ladies of the world would be up to the task. Why, I dare any lady to make it around the world on a broomstick before me. I'll double the winnings I received from my first trip. That was all Essa needed to hear before committing herself fully to the challenge issued by Decker. Essa Metzler was a highly unlikely choice for completion of this challenge. She lacked the experience, never having ridden for longer than a few hours on a single trip, and had a slight build, only 5 foot 9 and about 100 pounds. In addition, she was a married woman and a mother of two. Despite the odds against her, Essa began stealing away into the thick jungle surrounding Rucosolis to train for the arduous journey. She had to train in secret to avoid catching the attention of her husband and brothers until she was ready to publicly announce her bid to make the journey. Meanwhile, she wrote a series of letters each day. Many of these were to prospective sponsors because she would need money for pixie dust and supplies necessary for the journey. Her brothers alone couldn't front the steep bill to send her on a journey around the world. Most of the businesses she wrote to were male-owned and she received no response from them. The bulk of her sponsorship was raised from small donations from the females of the Runcasolis community. Essa's most substantial donations came from Saints Lily and Bastet, two women of tremendous renown for their part in the Alliance of Sentinels. She also received a hefty sum from an anonymous donor who signed her letter with a happy face. Essa also wrote a number of letters to Decker, making her intention to accept his challenge known. She received only one response back. I have taken note of your acceptance of my wager, Miss Sidor. Now stop writing, James Decker, Explorer. Essa also spent long hours creating the flying broomstick that she would use on her journey from scraps left behind in her family workshop. Her Metzler Model 1 broomstick had a pine wood shaft with golden straw on the back, designed to hold more pixie dust for long-distance travel. She also added a compass inset into the wood with a compartment under the leg rests where she could keep her food and a change of clothes. The Metzler 1 was much heavier than the average broomstick and had a thicker shaft to account for the added weight of Essa in her dress. Because of the strict social rules governing her conduct, she would have to ride side saddle the entire time, in full dress with a gown fit for the ball, perfect hair, and stainless gloves. It wasn't ideal for the journey ahead, but Essa was already doing plenty to defy the stiff patriarchal culture of the elves and thought it prudent not to push the envelope too much. Then, in the autumn of 5469, Essa received news that very nearly derailed all her hard work. I found a buyer for the store, announced Bennis when he stopped over to Essa's home for a short visit. Thought you ought to know. You can't sell. I need more time, complained Essa. For what? Bennis hadn't noticed all the supplies Essa had been stealing from the shop to complete her broomstick. But even an inattentive brother like him knew when his little sister was hiding something. What are you up to? What trouble will I have to bill you out of this time? Essa could no longer keep her plan a secret. She led her brother to a closet in her humble home where she kept the Metzler one. 
Benes's blue eyes widened with surprise when he saw the broomstick for the first time. The broomstick hovered perfectly in place as the elf ran his hands lightly along the shaft and brushed the perfect golden straw tail. You... you did this? The amazement in Benes's voice made Essa smile ear to ear. Why, it's a work of art. I've never seen anything like it. Essa felt a surge of pride. She'd never done anything to impress her brother before. You could get more speed if the handlebars were a little lower. I like the addition of a compass. That's good. The extra leg compartment weighs it down a little bit, but it makes the broomstick more practical for long journeys. Then Benes got around to asking the one question Essa knew he would ask. Who did you build this for? Me, responded Essa. I am going to fly this broomstick around the world. Benes reacted to the news exactly how Essa knew he would. Are you insane? I've been training in secret. Essa wished that she had practiced this speech so she wasn't just trying to argue her case on the fly. Let me start over. Jamius Decker issued this public challenge to a woman to fly around the world on a broomstick. I thought I would. I, I mean, I want to take this journey to save the shop. It's not your responsibility to do anything other than care for your family. Cut in Benis. That's what I'm doing. Defended Asa. Benis shook his head. No. No, what you're doing is being careless and foolish. If you go on this journey, you will die. I need time. Essa was on the verge of tears as she tried to appeal to her brother's sense of family. I need you to keep the shop open for the year so I can make the journey. That's the only way this is going to work. If I can make it around the world, there'll be a line around the block so long we won't even see the end. Don't do this. Penna set his hands on Essa's shoulders. I'm begging you. It took a lot of back and forth before Essa was convinced she couldn't sway Benis's opinion. She let the discussion go for another hour before deciding to act like she had second thoughts. Essa's mouth may have said, You're right. I don't know what I was thinking. But her brain was thinking, I'm going to do this with or without you. Essa made arrangements to take off that very night. She told Benis about her journey. Benis was bound to realize that she'd just been paying him lip service and would return to steal the Metzler 1 to prevent her from taking off. She had to get off Adele Island as soon as possible. She knew that she could show that mistresses were just as good as masters. Essa would become the first person to ride a broomstick around the world or die trying. Fathers and brothers of the world would have to look upon her and count her as their equal. She would not spend the rest of her life at home with a baby under her apron every year. Early estimates indicated that it would take about a year to complete the journey from start to finish. Essa would ride across the Holcat Ocean to the continent of Cathara and the mainland of the Fantasian Republic. From there, she would gather the remaining supplies that she would need for her journey and set out across the Western Hemisphere. 
After touching down in Sacria, she would chart her course south to Aflar. The leg of the journey where she would have to get over the Isle Ocean would be the most difficult. It would almost be a relief to make it to the hot, dry, and barren continent of Astar. If she could make it to Oslar in the Far East, she knew that it would be smooth sailing for the rest of the journey to make it back home alive. The Metzler One was made specifically for her hourglass figure. It was made so that Essa could get onto the saddle in her long skirt. She added a belt to the saddle to keep herself from falling off. More weight had to be put on the left side of the broom to keep it balanced in the air, as most of her weight would be on the right side. The Metzler One was twice as heavy as a regular broomstick, but Essa knew it in her bones that it had the power to get her across the finish line. Even the most well-trained witches and wizards of old would find what she was about to do a daunting task. No normal person would ever consider undertaking an arduous journey. The smart thing would be to just turn around and fly back. Essa had never really done the smart thing in life though, so there was no point in starting now. And so, it was on the night of Libra 25th, 5469, Essa Metzler put her two children to bed and made sure her husband was fast asleep before departing on her unprecedented journey in the middle of the night. She left behind a note explaining where she'd gone with instructions to her husband to care after the children while she was gone. Other letters she wrote were to both her children in the event of her death, and letters to each of her brothers begging them to keep the store open and await her return. Wearing her finest dress, she took to the skies alone. No crowd was there to watch her lift off through the cold night air. Not even the people, casually looking up to see the elven mistress glide overhead, knew they were witnessing history in the making. Fabella had no space beyond the sky, none that Essa knew anyway. Nights were dominated by a pitch black field, so dark she couldn't see her hand an inch from her face. Waving aurora lights in every color imaginable shimmered against the clouds and the dark ocean below. Essa could only tell where the ocean was by the way the aurora caught the rolling waves of the whole cat ocean. She was now as far away from home as she had ever been, and loving every moment. Essa climbed higher, seeing what only those with wings had ever glimpsed before. In that moment, she basked joyfully in the knowledge that she was finally completely free. The island of Adel was separated from the continent of Cathara by the Holcat Ocean. The Holcat Ocean was the largest of Abella's oceanic divisions. It extended from the Yartha Ocean in the north to Zisco in the south. The equator subdivided it into the North Holcat Ocean and the South Holcat Ocean, with one exception. Adel, while straddling the equator, was deemed wholly within the South Holcat Ocean. Both the center of the Eastern Hemisphere and the Western Hemisphere were in the Holcat Ocean. 
Cathara was home to the Republic of Fantasia, making it the only landmass in the world that was both a country and a continent. It had an oceanic climate in its northern region, but in the southern tip, the climate was dry. The coastline saw significantly milder temperatures when compared to the inland areas during summer. Slightly narrower fluctuations could be seen all along the coast and could partially be explained for the cold currents in the Holcat Ocean, moderating coastal temperatures in the mountain ranges blocking the maritime air from moving further inland than the foothills during summer. Coastal fog was also prevalent in keeping the shoreline temperatures cool. A short journey inland and summer temperatures were more comfortable. Ancient Fantasia was considered to be the cradle of Western civilization, being the birthplace of democracy, philosophy, political science, major scientific principles, and drama. Fantasia was a republic and developed country with an advanced high-income economy, a high quality of life, and a very high standard of living. The culture of Fantasia evolved over thousands of years, beginning in Hercules and continuing most notably into Olympia City. In ancient times, Fantasia was the birthplace of Western culture. Modern democracies owed a debt to Fantasian beliefs in government by the people, trial by jury and equality under the law. The ancient Fantasians pioneered in many fields that relied on systematic thought, including biology, geometry, history, philosophy, physics, and mathematics. They introduced such important literary forms as the epic and literary poetry, history, tragedy, and comedy. In their pursuit of order and proportion, the Fantasians created an ideal country of beauty that strongly influenced art. It was autumn when Essa landed in Fantasia's capital city of Hercules. Adele was a tropical island with little change between the seasons. Even warm fall weather was chilly for her. Essa used the money she had to buy supplies for the cold journey ahead. She took off at the wrong time and was going to run right into winter when she hoped to take off in time to keep the bitter chill behind her and follow the more temperate weather on her journey. Now she had to readjust her plans to make sure that she wouldn't fall into the depths of winter during the entire journey. She had no time to waste in the city. Asa had to get what she needed and go. Before she left Hercules, though, she wanted her grand send-off. She wanted to draw a crowd and have her name in the Daily Bulletin. Essa went straight to the offices of the Hercules Daily Report to tell her story. The Hercules Daily Report was a bulletin of news from around the world. These articles were printed and distributed every morning as a 3-5 to five page pamphlet. Occasionally, there would be crude, little illustrations, but most of the time it was comprised of closely set text. The small squad of reporters at the Hercules Daily Report pounced on Essa's story. One reporter described that she flew away down Hades Street like a kite and was quite a spectacle. After the next bulletin was released, Essa left Fantasia amidst a crowd of well-wishers that filled 12 city blocks. Everyone wanted to see the elf who was flying her broomstick around the world. The turnout and excitement filled Essa with determination she would need to complete the rest of the journey. At first, she made good progress. Essa averaged between 8 and 10 miles per hour on good flying conditions, and a good deal less on much poorer weather. 
She had barely begun and was already falling behind. Flying at this time of year was tough, especially with the mounting frequency of winter storms, for which Essa was unfamiliar with and ill-prepared to handle. It took more than five weeks for her to make the stretch from coast to coast in Cathara. Had she flown on an airship, she could have made it to the neighboring continent of Sakria in half the time. Sakria was a continent entirely within the Northern Hemisphere and almost all of the Western Hemisphere of Fabella. It was bordered to the north by the Yartha Ocean, to the east by the Eile Ocean, to the west and south by the Holcat Ocean, and to the southeast by the continent of Aflar and the Sepakan Sea. The Eile Ocean was the second largest of the world's oceans. It covered approximately 20% of Fabella's surface and about 29% of its water surface area. It separated the Western Hemisphere from the Eastern Hemisphere. The Eile Ocean occupied an elongated S-shaped basin extending longitudinally between Euplar and Astar in the east, and Sacria and Aflar to the west. One component of this interconnected global ocean, it was connected to the north by the Yartha Ocean and to the Holkat Ocean in the southwest. The Sepakan Sea was a sea in the Eile Ocean in the tropics of the Western Hemisphere. It was bounded by Unitesia and the Sheba Union to the west and the south by the north coast of Aflar. The entire area of the Sepakan Sea and adjacent coasts were collectively known as the Remus Islands. The Yartha Ocean was the smallest and shallowest of the world's five major oceans. Alternatively, the Yartha Ocean could be seen as the northernmost part of the all-encompassing world ocean, located mostly in the Arctic North Polar region in the middle of the Northern Hemisphere. The Yartha Ocean was almost surrounded by continents Euplar and Sacria. Sea ice partly covered it throughout the year, and almost entirely in winter. The welcome she got at the Sheba Union wasn't nearly as warm as the one Essa received in Fantasia. The Shebans had heard of her flight, and they weren't too happy about Essa's mission to defy patriarchal society. She was only able to land in the country for an hour, before being chased away by an angry mob hell-bent on shooting her down. Essa had to quickly fly away under a hail of arrows fired at her from down below. She cut down through the southwest, flying over stretches of desert, characterized by gaping canyons and red rocks, arcing magnificently over the dry land. The peaceful country of Unitesia passed beneath her, giving life to a vibrant, humid, tropical land, much like Adele. Essa had successfully crossed over from Sacria, and was now in the southern continent of Aflar. Aflar was a diverse continent, located in the southwestern hemisphere of Fabella. Almost all of the mainland sat on an unstable tectonic plate, causing regular quakes throughout the region. Aflar's major mineral resources were located in the Red Winter Mountains. These included gold, silver, copper, iron, tin, and diamonds. 
Cyrene Castor was the largest country in Aflar. It was not one of the most powerful empires in the world, but it was widely considered to be a country of immense wealth and prestige. The populace was predominantly dwarves and goblins, making it a major center of trade and export of weapons. The region was best known for its rainforests. The Firekiss rainforest possessed high biodiversity containing a major population of Fabella species. It was the largest rainforest in the world. Twice as big as any forest Essa had ever seen. The Firekiss rainforest was home to many interesting and unique species of animals, including the Abada, Rainbow Serpent, and Kithong. Fabella tour guides stressed the importance of treating the plant and animal life with respect, lest they rebel. According to one of the guides, natural rebellion was the whole reason the Firekiss rainforest existed in the first place. As she made her way south through Aflar, Essa grew increasingly uncertain that she was prepared for such an arduous undertaking. Essa was on a very heavy broomstick, wearing clothes that were not considered at all suitable for even a short ride. By the time she made it to the northeast coast of Aflar and the country of Sirencaster, her formerly exquisite dress was a dirty, tattered rag. She finally reached the outskirts of Sirencaster's capital, three months later than she had planned, flying through the numerous rainstorms and being pelted with snow and even hail made her seriously behind schedule. Essa was worn out by this point. She had no energy to carry on. This journey had been far more demanding than she was bargaining for. The next leg of the journey was over the massive gap between the Eilie Ocean and Astar. It would be like flying over a desert. No place to refuel with pixie dust or rest for the night. Unable to fly another mile, Essa made a decision that shocked her supporters. She sent word back to her family in Adele that she was throwing in the towel. She was going to abandon this attempt to go around the world and head home a failure. Just when she was at her lowest point, she was struck by a radical idea. She would need to ditch the heavy dress and riding side saddle to fly in clothing made for the opposite sex. This move was considered highly scandalous for the period. In her pursuit to dress more practical for the journey ahead, she risked being arrested for indecency and crucified by a significant amount of former supporters in the female community. She also retrofitted the Metzler 1 to be more aerodynamic and better suited for the long journey ahead. This was a really outlandish thing for anyone to do, especially for an elven mistress. Essa sent word back to her family through Fairy Post that she wasn't going to quit, and resumed her adventure. Equipped with the redesigned Metzler 1 and more suitable riding attire, Essa was unstoppable. continent she wouldn't be touching down on was the desolate arctic land of Zisco. Zisco was Fabella's southernmost continent, 
It contained the geological South Pole and was situated in the Antarctic region of the Southern Hemisphere. Zisco, on average, was the coldest, driest, and windiest continent and had the highest average elevation of all seven continents. As she suspected before departing, flying over the Eilly Ocean was the hardest part of the journey. There was no safe place for her to rest and refuel. She flew all day and all night for five long days. She exhausted her pixie dust storage before making it to land. Essa had to descend to the water and make an exhausting swim the last few miles through the tough ocean current. By the time she made it to Astar's shores, she was wet, cold, and too tired to move. She later wrote in her journal that she slept for a solid two days. Astar was one of the three great southward projections separated from Euplar by the Monkbat Sea. It was joined to Oslar at its northeast extremity. Geologically, Astar included the Enderloch Peninsula and the Pontan Mountains. The wasteland was Fabella's largest desert and virtually uninhabited. Essa didn't know how the people of this expansive land could brave the suffocating heat. The main exports from Astar were salt and gold. Mining for precious metals in Astar required a small army of dwarves to dig their pickaxes in layers of rock, with no promise of ever finding material with financial value. The sheer number of mining operations in Astar made it incredibly difficult for any one company to be profitable, keeping many nations in a state of poverty. The easiest way to avoid the Astaran wasteland desert was to migrate north up the western coastline of the continent. That's exactly what Essa did. But she still felt the incredible force of this great land when she flew right into a sandstorm over the Democratic Union of Frashana. Sand got everywhere. Anyone who had ever been to a beach knew that. If even a single grain of sand got through to her eyes, it could leave her blinded, and then her journey would really be over. The sandstorms of Astar were said to be so strong, the amount of sand was enough to bury a full-grown man in seconds causing them to die of suffocation. One storm could change the entire landscape of the desert. The punishing cloud of sand was on her in seconds. There was no way to get around the terrible force of nature. If she tried to fly through it, she would die. Essa had no choice but to bring her broom down and hunker against a rock near a small tribal village. The large boulder was the only shelter available to her. Essa shut her eyes and tore off a strip from her raggedy dress to keep the sand out of her lungs. Magic couldn't help her here. A cup of joe! Essa followed the sound of a voice to find a dwarf father in a thatched hut nearby calling to her. Agab Bajoro! Essa couldn't understand the language this dwarven father was using, but judging by the way he waved to her, she felt safe in assuming that he was calling for her to come inside the hut for shelter. There wasn't a moment to lose. The edge of the sandstone was heading toward her fast. Essa pushed away from the rock and raced to the hut. She just made it into the hut 
before the sandstorm swept over the tiny village. When Essa caught her breath, she saw a mother holding her three children close to her breast in the dark as the storm blocked out nearly all sunlight. She found the father and whispered a breathless, Thank you. Unsure if he could understand her or not. Essa waited with the family for the sandstorm to pass, then stayed a bit longer to help them rebuild with magic. The three children were enamored with the magic Essa produced with her cherry wood wand. Before she departed, Essa gave them each a stick that she carved into the shape of a wand. Even though they didn't have to, the family gave her the small stone carving of an Astar and tribal warrior. She accepted the gift and flew off toward Uplar. Uplar was a continent that comprised the westernmost part of Ular, the supercontinent of Uplar and Aslar. The Yartha Ocean bordered the Uplar in the north, with the Eile to the east and southeast. Asa skimmed over the dark, wild Eile Ocean surrounding the island of Avalon. Azrae water fairies leapt out of the watery surface, spraying her with seawater. The morning sun kissed the horizon. Upon a hill at the edge of the wood squatted the grand old castle of Camelot, its crude stonework bathed in golden light. An iron gate was rooted in place, like the spikes were all thick tree trunks. Vines climbed up the stone walls. Essa waved back to the people who came out to point up at her with excitement and shot with joy at having seen Essa Metzler, the elf who was flying around the world. Essa made it to Avalon and reached the capital of Camelot, where she stopped for three days to rest and restock on supplies. She made it to Uplar. From here on out, it would be smooth sailing with little to be concerned about. She'd been paying close attention to the weather, and when a blizzard warning reached her attention, Essa hopped back on her broom and soared south toward the more temperate climate of Oslar to beat the coming winter storm. Oslar was the last continent Essa visited on her trip. Given its size and diversity, Oslar varied greatly across and within its regions with regard to ethnic groups, cultures, environments, economics, historical ties, and government systems. It also had a mix of many different climates, ranging from the equatorial south via the hot desert, temperate areas in the east, an extremely continental center of the vast subarctic and polar areas.
Essa caught the sudden blur of a long tail in the corner of her eye. In no time at all, a red dragon was upon her. The dragon's hot breath on her neck was enough to make her melt in sweat. The dragon's intense, cold, hard stare centered on Essa. Its huge, scarlet wings beat ferociously in the air as it followed Essa through a frantic path, zigzagging through the sky. The cruel beast reared back its ugly head, drawing a deep breath as it prepared to torch the beleaguered elf with a punishing jet of fire. Essa pulled away from the blazing path at just the right second to avoid being turned to a pile of ash. The straw of her broomstick wasn't so lucky, though, as flames ate away at the tail. Essa had to quickly cast a water spell behind her to keep the flames from tearing apart her broomstick. Aquapanis! Essa attempted to lose the dragon by dipping low into a bamboo forest. Another jet of fire from the dragon set the bamboo ablaze. Essa needed to find a way to lose or kill the dragon. She didn't know any spells that could kill. The most she could do with her rudimentary understanding of magic was throw jinxes at the horrid monster. Then, she saw the huge boulders of a mountainside and knew she needed to take her shot. She leaned forward on the broomstick, urging it forward. Magic had a range in which it could be effective. She just needed to get close enough to use it. Essa screamed through the air toward the mountainside with the dragon hot on her tail. The dragon snapped its massive jaws as Essa wound left and right through the air without a second to lose. Essa cast her spell. Babalu Boulder! Her magic seized one of the boulders and pulled it towards herself. Essa ducked just in time to avoid the boulder and let it crash right into the red dragon so hard it cracked the flying reptile's skull like an egg. The dragon fell dead to the ground with a thunderous quake. Essa had successfully made it through the terrifying dragon attack. She continued on with the rest of her journey, wondering why she ever thought this would be easy. Then, finally, Essa arrived back in Brunkasolis Adele. She had made it around the world, 24 days over what she had planned. But she made it, and that's what mattered. Venice and her brothers broke through the crowd and welcomed her back to her hometown as they pulled Essa into her tight hug. You did it! Essa could barely hear Venice's voice over the crowd. You saved the family business, continued Bennis. Everyone heard the story of your trip. We've been fighting them off all year. It's all thanks to you. A grand celebration and parade was held in Essa's honor. She set off carrying only a change of clothes and a pearl-handled wand, then wound up seeing Kathara, Sakria, Aflar, Astar, Uplar, and Oslar. She took off in the middle of the night as a nobody and landed back home a global celebrity. What Essa accomplished with her broomstick was a tour de force of moxie, self-promotion, and athleticism. 
She thought that when she arrived in Adele, her adventure would be over, but there was one more wrinkle to the story. When Essa sent word back to Jamis Decker announcing her completion of the trip and demanding the huge sum of money owed to her, Decker went back on his wager and challenged her claim. Decker brought charges against Essa accusing her of fraud, indecent exposure, and international espionage. As if that wasn't bad enough, Decker used his connections to bring the case to the highest court in the world. The Fabellan World Court. The World Court was an assembly of judges from the most powerful empires in the world, the Republic of Fantasia, the Sheba Union, Laxaria, Sirencaster, Unitesia, El Dorado, Avalon, the Democratic Union of Roshana, Alfheim, and Sorembega. They convened in a new city each year to hear testimony of international judiciary proceedings. They were able to pass international laws, but were mostly sought after to settle squabbles between countries in a bid to avoid war. The case of Decker vs. Metzler was a civil dispute between two people from different countries. Such a minor case wouldn't usually be handled by the world court, but the prominence of this being over Essa's worldwide journey demanded their attention. Throughout this trial, I will prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Miss Metzler did willfully and dubiously conspire to deceive the public. Her crimes breached the boundaries of a number of nations, and that is why it should be tried in a world court, announced Decker in his opening remarks as he paraded around in the grand courtroom in a powdered wig. Miss Metzler never flew around the world. The very notion a mother of two could possibly fly that far is audacious. This was an advertising scheme from start to finish, designed to keep her family's broomstick business afloat. The wager, and thus the prize money she was reportedly going to receive, should be declared invalid because of her misdeeds. Essa was forced to sit in the expansive courtroom and watch Decker bring in witness upon witness to assassinate her character. She reveled in lying, even from a young age. As a child, she would tell fantastical stories. At no point did she ever fly for more than a mile. She found a secluded place in the jungle to wait for a year, then reappeared, and in attire, fit for a master no less. She abandoned her responsibilities. She left her husband, and she was seen in public without a dress. What? I ask you, makes this despicable mistress a heroine. Essa was on the verge of losing everything. Then it was her turn to speak. I have been accused of indecency and being troublesome, but it is a truth and a fact that well-behaved daughters of Fabella seldom make history. Were I a master, we would not be here today. This farce of a court proceeding has been called into question solely because I am a mistress. It is a commonly held belief among gentlemen that ladies are the weaker sex. I defy any one of you to equal the strength and power of a mother. Mothers have children because we know it's worth the cost of suffering. I went around the world and came back, but I'm not the same person I was when I left. 
You may not like what I have to say, but I'm not going to sit here and be silent. The female form does not exist for your pleasure. We are not going to be stepped on any longer. We are warriors. The doors opened as Essa spoke to allow a crowd of ladies into the courtroom. They came from all around the world and from all walks of life, ready to back up and testify for their brave sister. We are doctors. We are teachers. We are scientists. We are explorers. And you don't have to like it. But this is the world you have to live in now, so you might as well embrace us as your equals. As for the charges against me, every one of these people behind me are witnesses to the year-long journey I took. There are far more of us than can fit into a courtroom. I promise you that. Deny my right to the money owed to me in my wager with Mr. Decker, and you will have a bigger problem on your hands than some petty civil suit. I am Essa Metzler, and I am an adventurer. Tears from the ladies behind her drowned out the voices of gentlemen calling for order. When the cheers finally died down, the Supreme Judge of the World Court had seen enough and brought down his gavel like a hammer. Miss Metzler is henceforth cleared of all charges. Sir Jamis Decker is ordered to pay her agreed-upon sum of price money in full. Court is adjourned. When Essa published her account of her exploits, headlines and bulletins described it as the most extraordinary journey ever taken. She went down in history as a trailblazer who left a lasting legacy and changed the world. That's it for today. Archives of Fabella is created, hosted, and edited by Dylan Foley, with music by Garrett Ferris and audio blocks. As always, look outside of what is possible and think about what might be.